Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. COVID has switched my attention to major league games this year, but players develop at that level as well until they no longer do. If you have any questions about Cubs development, this podcast, or anything else along those lines, fire away on the contest line at Tim815 on Twitter or on my Facebook Pre-Arb Excellence group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, Let's Play Monopoly, and ask me if any questions if I was confusing. We spend our time where it's valued, and I don't wish to waste yours. I'm trying to get better at doing my homework. I'm trying. Today, uh, I had a positive exchange. It's really nice on social media. One thing about social media is really nice. One, A lot of them are bad. A lot of them are frustrating. Social media can get me climbing invisible walls, but there are a couple of things that are nice. Sometimes you align yourself with a person who is way more intelligent than you are, way more aware of how things work, and they appreciate what you say, and they follow you. It's awesome, dude. And one of those with me is Nick Francona. Tito Francona's kid, Nick Francona, was around the dugout, the locker room, when Michael Jordan was with the White Sox for his one year in double-A, and Tito Francona was the manager. So Francona got to spend time with Michael Jordan, and presumably they have somewhat of a, you know, chit-chat here and there now and again, maybe. But uh, he then went off eventually to become a Marine, worked with the Dodgers in their player development system, and probably became a bit too idealistic to remain in Major League Baseball. He's a fascinating Twitter follower because, A, he knows what's going on, not only in baseball, but he understands how things work. He, he gets it. And... Back a couple months ago, he started following me, which was the hugest cool thing because I'd been following him because when he states something, I really like his uh, tweets that take up about 160 characters because he uses them all to educate pretty much everybody in the universe. It's awesome. But uh, today he had one. He was talking about ownership of major league teams. And it it was a bit of a thread. He was comparing them a bit to basketball owners. Um, But the back end of his tweet went something like this. There isn't even a pretense that fans or anyone other than owners benefit from Major League Baseball's monopolistic stranglehold on baseball. Brilliantly put. Succinctly put. And I responded something to the extent of 
And th this is something that's happened quite a few times, and it drives the way um, the way things develop. And they develop the same way each time. And I can smell that it's going to happen, but I have to go there, and it starts to happen, and the blood pressure starts going up, and I'm going to repeat the back end of Nick's tweet. There isn't even a pretense that fans or anyone other than the owners benefit from Major League Baseball's monopolistic stranglehold on baseball. What I will sometimes do is take as a starting point that owners don't like to spend money unnecessarily. That's my starting point. They don't like to. For instance, if Tom Ricketts decides he's going to only, let's say in a future year, the league penalizes teams for going over $230 million in spending. And Tom Ricketts decides his goal is to have the team budget be right about $227, $228 million, all things considered. So he's underneath the limit. So what I would say is Tom Ricketts goal for the year is probably to stay under. Seems reasonable, right? It does. It's not. Note, I did not say Tom Ricketts goal for the year should be to stay under 230 million. Didn't say that. I didn't say Tom Ricketts would be a fool to add talent pushing the cost over $230 million. I did not say that. What I said was his goal is probably going to be to stay under $230 million. So by saying his goal is probably to stay under $230 million, when the penalty phase starts kicking in at 230 million baseball fans like to holler at me why is it that you're endorsing tanking where the hell did that come from well i know they're gonna say it it's not a surprise i know anytime i take a hard line stance that ownership is probably going to limit their spending to a certain level, lower than you would prefer them to do. For instance, let's roll the clock back uh, about, what, 20 months? I knew the Cubs weren't going to add Bryce Harper. Would Bryce Harper have helped the Cubs be a better team? Yeah. Would Bryce Harper have been really helpful if the Cubs had a clear vacancy in right field? and there were no punishments in baseball for spending over certain limits? Of course. Or if the penalties were such that all that mattered was a little bit more money was going to be spent on top, would it have possibly been a particularly good idea to add a player if all that was going to matter was a little bit more money was going to be spent? Yeah, sure. Except what's happened 
funny thing happened. Funny thing happened a couple years ago. Some of the smaller market teams, smaller or even middle market teams, decided, you know what? We'd like an opportunity to get some of the elite free agent talent. Funny thing happened. So, what those smaller and middle market teams started to do was punish the big spending teams. We're going over limits. Actually, the punishments have been around for quite a while. I don't, I, uh, I don't know if they were going on in the nineties, but uh, back then, I think it was, it was just cashola. You know, if you go over a certain limit, you're going to end up spending a little bit more money. But recently, past five years, seven years, eight years, whatever, the increase has been we're going to prevent you from being able to do certain things. Back in the day, you know, 20 years ago, teams could spend on draft bonuses, whatever the hell they wanted to. Whatever the hell they wanted to. If, if let's say, the Padres were spending $4.3 million on their entire draft bonuses. $4.3 million. Don't know if that's high. Don't know if, it's that, if that's low. But Padres, $4.3 million, hypothetically. What were the Yankees allowed to spend? Whatever the hell they wanted to. They wanted to spend $29 million on draft signing bonuses. They could. Anything they wanted to. The Cubs, how much could they spend? Whatever they wanted to. The Red Sox, whatever they wanted to. Dodgers, Cardinals, whatever they wanted to. Anything they wanted to, they could spend. They didn't. Eventually, around about 2008, 2009, somewhere in there, teams started to spend more because they started to realize the value of having young players who were better than the league. Anybody that's better than the league is helpful. Anybody that's better than the league is helpful. Jason Kipnis, so far, has been better than the league. He's been very helpful. It doesn't matter what his age is. He's been better than the league. He's been very helpful. That he's been very helpful when he's making a whole lot less than the league average, that's even more helpful. Last year, DJ LeMahieu signed for a song with the Yankees, and he was really good. That helped the Yankees a lot because he played really well, filled in on a team where a whole bunch of players were getting hurt, and he was making very, very, very little, and he played really well. That was really helpful for the Yankees. If a player is doing well, that is helpful for the team. If a player is doing well and making very little that is really helpful for the team. As the teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox realized, we want to be better than the league, but we don't want to keep getting dinged. 
what they started to do was load up on quality young talent. Quality young talent meaning international spending or draft bonus spending. So then, as they started to load up on a whole bunch of talent out of the draft and out of the international pool, they suddenly had players for 10 years. They had players for 10 years. They had, they had them for four years or more in the minor leagues. And then once they got to the major leagues, they could toggle down between the major leagues and minor leagues for a couple of years. Then once they had, then they would also be able to be, honestly, they usually would have players for a dozen years. They would have players at completely reasonable rates for a dozen years and they were cheap. They were very inexpensive. They were not free agents. And then what would happen? Since the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox had all these guys in the minor leagues who were so darn good, and everybody knew it, what would happen? They'd have a guy who has maybe two years left in his contract before he's going to be a free agent. And he's good. He's desirable. He's better than the league. Other teams are interested in him. They'd trade him. In exchange, he'd get a couple minor league guys. Maybe a maybe a standalone to plug into the major league roster, but you know they, they focused on adding young talent and they'd spend to get it. Teams in 2009, 2010 started to realize what was going on. It's like, wait a minute. This kind of bull. The teams that have a whole lot of money, the Yankees and the Dodgers, and the uh, Red Sox, they're bringing in all these young kids and spending money on them. And then when their older guys get a little bit closer to free agency, they trade them. And they have all these kids that are really inexpensive. It, it, we don't like that. So the smaller owners, middle market owners decided, let's, let's change that up. Let's punish them for spending so much on international spending and on the draft. All of a sudden, teams were limited in how much they could spend on bonuses internationally and in the draft. Just about the time the Cubs were about ready to start spending heavily internationally and in the draft, vis-a-vis, when Theo Epstein was hired. The collective bargaining agreement came up, and the owners said, you know what, we're not going to allow those evil, rotten, horrible, big market teams to do that anymore without getting punished. So, there were punishments added to if you spent, quote-unquote, too much on the draft, and there were stipulations on international spending. So, all righty then. We're not going to allow teams to do that anymore. Well, funny thing happened about international spending. Teams, dis- the, the way the rules were written, if a team would go over a certain number, 
internationally. The next year, they would not be able to sign any players for over $300,000 in a signing bonus. Owners thought nobody's ever, ever, ever going to go over the limit and have to face that. Nobody will ever do that. That would be too rash. That would be too obscene. Nobody would. Well, the next year the Cubs went out and signed Gleyber Torres and Eloy Jimenez in the same international class. They were the one and the two guys internationally. Cubs went out and said, we don't care. We're going to spend the money. Shortly thereafter, the punishments for spending internationally got more severe. Nobody will ever, 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 ever go over these limits because the punishments are so severe. No owner would ever, no executive. Teams kept doing it. Teams kept doing it. And the small, the smaller markets who really didn't want to spend that much money internationally. And really, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the size of the market. It has to do with the owner. If the owner doesn't want to spend internationally, the owner doesn't want to spend internationally. There you go. It's not, it's not a, I'm a law-abiding person or I'm, it, it has nothing to do with it. It, it ha, does the owner want to spend internationally? And it got tougher and tougher and tougher to locate and load up on international talent. Now, as things have gone on, now it's completely even. You are not allowed to go over your international spending limit. It used to be you could trade talent. For instance, if you have a guy who is borderline good enough to be added to your 40-man roster in the offseason. He's almost good enough to be added to, for, for a really good team. The, the Yankees come to mind. The Dodgers come to mind. The Yankees did this a lot. They had, they'd have a guy who, if all things were even, they'd like to be able to add this guy to their 40-man roster in the offseason. But because they have a whole bunch of other guys who are in the same situation, their 40th, their 41st, their 42nd, their 43rd guys for the upcoming offseason are really good. And some of the other teams, they're, the, the Yankees' 42nd, 43rd guy would be the 35th or 36th guy on the other team. So what the Yankees would do they would trade talent who hadn't entirely developed yet, and they weren't going to be able to retain them on the 40-man roster. If they would go to the offseason with them not on the 40-man roster, they'd probably get taken in the Rule 5 draft. So all they'd get is $100,000 out of them. And just getting $100,000 really isn't very useful for the, for the Yankees. So what they would do, they'd trade this guy, and in exchange, they would end up getting $250,000 or $500,000 of international spending space. They wouldn't get the money, they'd just get the room 
so that they could spend more internationally. And then they go out and sign five or six more players. Add them to their Dominican Summer League team, and they do how they do. They de- Some of them would develop, some of them wouldn't. And then four or five years later, they would theoretically get to the point where, well, do you want to keep this guy on the 40-man roster, or do you want to trade him to another team and get more international spending money? Well, some of the owners didn't like that. So 23 of the 30 owners decided, let's get rid of the option for teams to trade talent to get additional spending space. As of now, when the international spending period resumes in mid-January, teams will only be able to spend a certain amount of money, and that's it. They can't go any further than that. So what's that do? The Yankees are still going to want the elite talent. The Cubs are still going to want elite talent. The Dodgers are still going to want elite talent. But the players from the Dominican or wherever, they're still going to want their $2.5 million signing bonus, their $3.2 million signing bonus, whatever the signing bonus is. Now, it's not... The top 50 guys are the top 50 guys. And the Yankees are going to spend a whole lot of time trying to encourage the top 10, the top 15, the top 20 guys to come sign with us. The Cubs are doing the same thing. Everybody's trying to get that player to come sign with them. Some teams might realize we're having a hard time competing on a name basis level with the Yankees. So instead of the Yankees offering the player $2.5 million, to compete, we're going to have to offer $2.9 million. See how that works? So uh, the Yankees know they're going to go out and get some really good talent. Some of the other teams have to ramp up their amounts a little bit to try to encourage the team to sign on the dotted line with them. The international talent is still there. The international talent is still good. Juan Soto, there's a Juan Soto out there. It's just you have to figure out who it's going to be. And sometimes it'll be a guy different, completely different, entirely different from who you thought it might be. So teams are going out and signing international talent. But now you can't go over the certain limit. One of the things that people get upset about is how often young players are signed to international contracts. And with that, I can't accurately emphasize enough how much I enjoy you guys listening to my podcasts. Especially recently, I've been seeing the numbers pop right after I'm making the podcast public, just before a Cubs game, just after a Cubs game, heck, even during a Cubs game. The numbers just keep going. It's it's really refreshing. If you want to help expand the reach of the podcast... Share a link that you particularly found amusing on your Twitter feed or on your Facebook feed or wherever it is. Um, By expanding to other people, more people hear what I'm saying, and some of them might like it. Who knows? You never know. Also, Anchor provides sponsorships, which are also useful. 
and helpful. Well, either would be greatly appreciated. I really do enjoy you listening. So, teams have hard limits on how much they can spend internationally. So instead of the Cubs being able to go over and, you know, uh, your, your limit is 2.9, screw that, we're going to spend $8.5 million. Nope. Now they can only spend the amount they're allowed to spend. The larger the market, the smaller the amount the team can spend. And now teams can't trade for additional spending space. Okay. So the Yankees can't go over anymore. If they get their two or three really big names and then six or seven smaller names, well, that's probably going to burn through most of their allotted spending money. So what's the big picture difference on that? Remember how I said that there were some teams that really don't try that hard internationally? They don't really expend a whole bunch of energy. They don't burn a whole lot of effort. They have an amount of money they get to spend as well. So now, I'll use, for an example, the White Sox. They don't do a whole lot of international research. They just don't. It's not a high priority in a Jerry Reinsdorf environment right now. They just don't really go out and, okay, we're going to send out four scouts to Venezuela and figure out who the best players are, and we're going to have some of the... No, that's not a thing that the White Sox do very much, which is fine. Yeah, they can run their business however they want. What's happening now, perhaps you've noticed, occasionally there will be a player from Cuba who suddenly becomes available internationally. This player from Cuba, maybe he's 19, maybe he's 21, however old he is, He's more than likely in the same competition for cash as the 16 or 17-year-old in the Dominican or in Venezuela. Now, what happens with a lot of those players, the Cubs, the Yankees, they have scouts on the ground in Venezuela, in the Dominican, in Colombia, in wherever it is. And they, the teams like the Cubs, like the Yankees, like the Dodgers, they are building relationships with the players, the families, and they are investing not only money, but time. The Cubs took quite a bit of time. Back a couple years ago, they added Brian Altuve, Kevin Made and Ranier Quintero. All three were effectively from Venezuela. Quintero had moved to the Dominican, but he was actually from Venezuela. And the Cubs spent a whole lot of time getting to know the player, the player's trainer, the player's family, and just basically a recruiting thing, kind of like you would have with. University of Alabama, Birmingham, trying to recruit a high school point guard to come play for them. 
You spend time, you go talk to the guy, you talk to his teachers, you talk to his counselors, you talk to his girlfriend, you, you do the dark op stuff to make sure, is this the kind of guy we want representing our school? It makes sense, to, you know, regardless which school it is, you do the research and you take the time and you get to know the guy and you eventually decide either this is a guy that we want representing us or he isn't. So the Cubs and the Dodgers and the Yankees and a whole lot of teams spend a whole lot of time in the Dominican getting to know this player and that player to get the player for the deadline after they become 16. The deal often has to be agreed to before they turn 16. Sometimes it's before they turn 15. Sometimes it's before they turn 14. It depends upon how good the player is. If a player looks that good that early, that's how quick the negotiating starts. If a guy is 14 and he's all that, and he's looking like he's going to be really good, and he's going to make get a $3 million signing bonus, somebody's already locked him up. Somebody's already very familiar with him. Somebody knows his family. Somebody knows his trainer. And he's visited the site. And he, If a player is going to be that good, that elite, you have to have scouts on here. You have to have scouts on the ground or else you probably won't get the major names. Here, here I did that. I, I go a bit ballistic when somebody says need or have to. You have to do that or else he will sign with someone else. So you have teams like the White Sox who we're not going to do that. We're not going to have boots on the ground and recruiting people and making sure that we get the elite guy. By, so they're not going to do that. What that means is when 21-year-old Cuban dude announces, I'm coming to the United States, the White Sox have a whole lot of spending money left over. They haven't spent it on, they haven't committed it to a guy who's 15 going to be turning 16. They have the extra money already on hand. They haven't even gone anywhere. So the White Sox, the Astros, the Astros don't spend much internationally. They, they don't invest much internationally. So when a player becomes suddenly available and, hey, all the, um, Colas is a guy from last year. <laughs> the, the White Sox have a whole bunch of guys from Cuba. Part of it is, well, they have a Cuban connection. Well, why do they have a Cuban connection? Because international spending is a major thing and... The White Sox don't invest a whole lot of time in the Dominican thing. So when a Cuban becomes available, they'll take the Cuban. See how that works? Let's go back to Nick's comment. There isn't even a pretense that fans or anyone other than owners benefit from Major League Baseball's monopolistic stranglehold on baseball. When I take the starting point that owners don't like to spend money. If they do spend money, it's because fans are giving them money to order season tickets. So let's say 
It's the off season. And Cubs had a good year the year before, or the Dodgers had a good year before, or the Yankees had a good year before. People are sending in money. Yes, I'm going to continue to get my season tickets. Here's my money. Please take my money. Take my money. Just make sure that I get to sit at the ball game. Owners have all this money. Now with this money, that's their walking around money. With the walking around money, they are allowed to sign free agents. It's not their money. It's the money that you just sent them. They, they just they open the mail. Oh, here's a check for uh, here's a check for seven thousand dollars. Oh, cool. Okay, Here, here's a check for ten thousand dollars. Oh, here's something from Bamco. It's a whole lot more. Now they can go out and sign free agents without using their money. It's how it works. Oh, ESPN just increased our deal. Okay, we're, we're getting more from ESPN now. Hey, guess what? Those owners, now I can use ESPN's money to go out and sign a free agent. But, but remember this. I'm not going to go over that number. One or two owners might. But most of the owners, no, I really don't want to go over that number. I want to stay under that number. It's not me saying, please don't add quality talent. It's more a case of, that's how it goes. That's the way the owners do it. That's the way the owners want it. So when I say, the Cubs are probably not going to spend over the limit. Not only do they not want to spend the cash penalty, but there's also the possibility they're realizing that if in 2019 they would have signed Craig Kimbrell in May instead of June, one month difference, May instead of June, not only would they have, well, they would have gotten Craig Kimbrell one month earlier, but because of the punishments that the 23 owners have submitted onto the seven owners, the Cubs would have lost their access to Brian Altuve, Kevin Made, and Chase Strumpf. All three of those would not have been in the Cubs pipeline at all under any circumstance because the Cubs would have signed Craig Kimbrell in May. I grasp there are punishments in addition to just cash penalties now for owners. In about 24 months, there will probably be a new collective bargaining agreement for baseball. Yay, whoopee. Okay, I'm going to read you something that you may have heard today. There isn't a, even a pretense that fans or anyone other than owners benefit from Major League Baseball's monopolistic stranglehold on baseball. When the new CBA kicks in, I'm going to give you three options. You choose one of the three. I don't care which one you choose. Try to be right, though, okay? Just try to be right, not not your, not leading with your heart, leading with what you actually think is going to happen. It's going to be one of three different scenarios. Scenario A, the punishments for the teams who are interested in going over the spending limit. 
going over the spending limit will be right about exactly what they are now. Do you think that's going to happen? It could be. could be that the punishments are going to be just exactly the same as what they are now. It could be that. Scenario B. The smaller and middle market teams could realize, you know what? We've been really mean to those owners in Boston, in New York. It's really horrible that by us increasing the punishment on spending penalties, the Red Sox were pushed into pretty much giving up Mookie Betts at surrender value. It's really horrible that we mistreated Boston in such a fashion. We should dial back the penalties so that Boston is never pushed into making a trade, giving up Mookie Betts when he could help the team still. That, that's scenario B. And then think scenario A, the penalties are going to be just about what they are now. Scenario B, the penalties, the punishments are going to be significantly less than they are now. Or scenario C. Scenario C, wow, we're really messing with them. Dude, the Red Sox are horrible this year. They can't, they have no pitching, and they're still over the spending limit. They still have to purge. And they're terrible. They can't buy a pennant anymore. Now, which scenario do you think makes the most sense to teams like the White Sox, the Royals, the Indians who are going to have to give up Francisco Lindor soon because they're not going to be able to afford him? Do you think that the smaller market teams and the middle market teams are going to say, you know what? We should probably dial down or leave the punishments exactly as they are. Hell no. They realize the importance of the really good player. Now, it's true Mookie Betts went to the Dodgers, who are a big money team. You know what the Dodgers have that the Red Sox don't? The Dodgers are really good at developing their own talent. A couple days ago, the Dodgers had to put a catcher on the injured list. Hey, it happens, right? It happens. What the Dodgers ended up doing, if the Cubs ended up having a catcher get hurt, they'll have to call up a catcher from the minor leagues, right? And if the season goes all 60 games, it's very possible Victor Caratini or Wilson Contreras will miss a week. The Cubs will decide, let's put him on the injured list. And the Cubs will call up someone. And that someone will be Jose Lobaton, who's probably with the team now, working out in the bullpen, catching the pitchers that are warming up. Jose Lobaton would be the player that the Cubs would call up if a catcher gets injured. Now, a couple days ago, the Dodgers had a player... A catcher get injured, and the Dodgers decided, well, we'd better call up a catcher because you want to have your two or three catchers on your 28-man roster because you never know what will happen. 
the dude the Dodgers called up to be their fill-in catcher is in the top 100 prospects of Major League Baseball. That's not Jose Lobaton. That's a guy who in five or six years, people might be saying, how the heck did the Dodgers get this guy? The Dodgers got this guy because they are really good at developing talent. They're really good at locating talent. And they're really good at keeping their ducks in a row. Small and mid-market teams are going to increase the punishment for teams that go over the limit. Why do I think that? Because they've been doing it incrementally for the past 10 years. Now, how are they going to continue to punish teams? Well, if you, as of right now, if a team goes over and signs a qualifying free agent, instead of losing $500,000 in international spending money, they lose a million, they lose twice as much. Do you think that the smaller market teams are going to say, oof, that, that's, that's horrible of us to punish an owner that severely for stealing talent from us? That's how they look at it. Everybody wants the best talent for their team. They just don't necessarily want to do the investment of time and the investment of money. So if they decide, let's punish a team for spending to get a qualifying free agent, let's make the punishment for that $1 million. And if they sign a qualifying free agent when they're over the limit, let's make it $2 million. See how easy it is to increase a punishment? As of now, teams lose a second-round draft pick and potentially a fifth-round draft pick if they sign a qualifying free agent. You think that maybe that punishment could go up a little bit too? I'm completely good with teams being punished for punished and losing draft choices and losing international money. I'm completely good with it. As long as it's something that's inappropriate, like um, violating COVID protocol. But with what I'm seeing from what the league is doing in regards to letting Miami play, it, it it's looking like and reading like a player can be allowed to go back to playing even if he hasn't had two negative tests. That seems like it's completely not Dr. Fossey. But Rob Manfred is more interested in having the games continue. He wants to have the games push on because if the games push on, then he gets to October and all the owners get their money because Rob Manfred is about getting the owner's money because Rob Manfred is paid by the owners and that's how it all works. Rob Manfred and the owners want to make additional money and they don't want to spend money. That's how it is. It's not that's how Tim wants it to be. That's how it is. There are rules, there are punishments. If teams are being punished for doing something, they'd rather pull up just to the limit 
so that they're not getting punished. Just kind of like if you're if you or your child has a 11 o'clock curfew. 11 o'clock curfew. What time are you going to get back? You tell me. What time is a kid going to get back home if they have an 11 o'clock curfew? Are they going to be home at 9.30? Are they going to be home at 9.45? Maybe three minutes after 10? Or maybe it'll be... 1057, 1058. Hey mom, I'm home. I made it. I snuck in under the deadline. I'm all good. There's no punishment now. That's how it works. When there's a limit, people want to sneak in just under the limit. It's not that it's not Tim wants it to be that way. I'm not promoting tanking. I'm realizing this is how things work. Let's imagine. You flip on the news, the weather, some, some sort of, maybe you check your Twitter, maybe you, you check weather.com. You look outside, hmm, it's getting a little bit cloudy. And off in the distance, I'm hearing just a little tiny bit of thunder. I'm going to look outside. You know, it kind of looks a little bit threatening outside. I think I'm going to pop onto weather.com and see if anything's going to happen. Well, last week I was on Twitter and I was noticing that in Des Moines they had, I'm not remembering the word, but there's the really, really windy dirty show, whatever. I'll probably throw it in under the comments. But um, I heard there was going to be... When weather starts in Des Moines heading west, when it starts in Des Moines, it usually hits Rockford and then hits Chicago. Not always, but that's, it's like it drives right down, you know, whatever the roads are, and it hits, Chicago, it hits Rockford and then a little bit later it hits Chicago. It just goes that way. So now, when this weather started kicking in and people started talking about it on Twitter, I realized, you know what? I haven't gone out yet to get my mail today. I heard the thunder in the distance. I heard people talking about 90 mile an hour winds. I thought, you know what? I'd probably better go outside and get my mail now because at some point the weather's going to kick in. So I went out, got my mail, brought it inside and dealt with it. Not a problem. And eventually the weather came along. Now, who's responsible for the bad weather? Seriously, who's responsible? Is it the weatherman's fault when he says, ladies and gentlemen, we have a tornado coming? I had, once it was kind of bad outside. I flipped on the TV. I don't flip on the TV very much. It was bad weather outside. I flipped on the television. The television news guy said, "If you, I, I just flipped it on. Just flipped it on. The weatherman said, if you're listening to this now, turn off the television and go downstairs to safety. That's exactly what the weatherman said. You know what I did? Took his advice. 
I figure if a person who's gone to meteorology school and has done all the everything and communicates with the people and the others, and he knows what's going on with the weather, if he tells me, turn off this TV and go downstairs to safety, I figured that's probably a pretty good idea. Was it the weatherman's fault that the tornado was coming? Did, did the weatherman summon the horrible weather? No, not even close. When I'm talking about this is what the owners are probably going to do. It's not a case of, woohoo, the owners aren't spending money. They're doing this other thing that involves not spending money. No, I'm not endorsing. I'm not condoning. I'm saying they're probably going to follow this one path. And here's three or four reasons why. Perhaps sometimes it might make sense. Perhaps sometimes it won't. But if you're going to go out and spend a whole lot of money on veteran free agents in a scenario where there are huge punishments for going over the spending limits, owners aren't going to go over the spending limits. So when the Cubs ha added Jason Hayward right before the punishments increased, the Hayward contract is going to get paid off by somebody. And since the Cubs can't find anyone else who is all that interested in taking the Hayward contract, the Cubs are probably going to pay that Jason Hayward contract the whole way through. If, if a team is going to spend heavily on any certain specific player, you really might want to make sure that it makes sense long term. And when people say the Cubs ought to sign, insert player name here, for regardless how much they want, for however long they want to stick around. I never want to see this guy in another uniform. Forever's a long time, dude. Long time. And the punishments for going over exist, and the owners are going to follow the rules because they don't like to be punished. There isn't even a pretense that fans or anyone other than owners benefit from Major, Le Major League Baseball's monopolistic stranglehold on baseball. Owners aren't going to spend money. Start there. Owners aren't going to spend money that they don't have to. Start there. Some owners, their spending limit is $80 million for a year. Some owners, their spending limit is 120 or 150 or 170. They have a number. That's the number we're going to go to. And come the trade deadline, if we're doing really well, maybe, just maybe, I'll let the owner or I'll let the executives spend a little bit, a little tiny bit more because we're doing well and because. I want a chance at a ring and a parade because rings are cool and parades are cool. But usually owner, the owner's going to give a number. Stay under that. The executives will run right up to that number and park right under it. Now, sometimes it'll be the league's, the league mandated number. Sometimes it'll be a number that's completely different than that. Normally, it'll be a number that's completely lower than that. Sometimes, 
with some teams, it might be a bit higher than the number. Now, if there's an owner that does that, cool, more power to him. I doubt Tom Ricketts will do that. He did kick it over a bit in 2016, and he kicked it over a bit in 2017. What happened was Theo Epstein started to spend next year's money this year, a couple too many years in a row, and at some point Tom Ricketts said, no, I told you that was the limit. And fans get really upset. Fans don't get upset when Tom Ricketts allows Theo Epstein to spend next year's money this year. They don't get upset then. Fans do, though, get upset when Ricketts says, no, I told you the last time you spent last year's money, this year's money last year. You spent this year's money last year. You went over my limit, so now... This time, you're going to have to move talent to be able to spend more money. Fans don't like it that way. If the Cubs didn't add Craig Kimbrell last year, if they didn't add Nick Castellanos, then they'd have been a bit lower in the spending area. And perhaps Tom Ricketts would have been willing let Theo Epstein to have spent more, but Epstein spent 2020's money in 2019. He went to the payday store. That's what happened. It's not a case of, yay, don't spend money on talent. No, it'd be nice if they did. I'm just trying to figure out how things work. And once I figure out how things work, I try to tell you how I think things work. And when I'm wrong, I'll say, wow, I was wrong on that. Now I got to find out a new way to phrase it. Because the way I phrased it before, it isn't right. Well, most of the time regarding spending, I think I'm kind of close to accurate that owners don't want to spend money. They really don't want to spend money, especially when it's their own money. If they're spending the money that's being sent in to whether it's a case of people sending in money for season tickets or walk-up gates are really big. So let's say they were expecting 25000 in season tickets and they were looking at 32000 to be the average attendance for games. But all of a sudden, with a whole bunch of people walking up and buying tickets... It's now up near 40000 per game. So you're getting a whole bunch of walk-up tickets, and you're also probably getting a whole bunch of people paying for parking, and a whole bunch of people buying programs, and uh, hats, and t-shirts, and beer, and hot dogs. All that money can now be spent. And then it can get spent, as long as it doesn't go over the limit. Thanks for stopping by Pre-Arb Excellence. I'll try to post another podcast as circumstances warrant. I'll attempt to make that one worth, worth your time as well. Be safe. Go Cubs go. And be nice to people.